Yeah, I don't know, man. You ever just feel like life is just catapulting towards like, some greater purpose? The only DJ crazy enough to tattoo Jackie Brown on his ass. This is Michael Mann, and I ride with Extended Clip. Welcome to Extended Clip. It's episode 130. I'm one of your hosts, Eddie Averill. I'm Malcolm Baum. I'm JT White. And joining us, uh, usually in New York, but tonight calling in from Nashville, is a friend of the podcast, returning champion, writer, Jason Buford. What's up, man? Hello. What's up, fellas? Thanks for coming on the pod and bringing this very interesting, crazy double feature. Uh, We're going to be talking tonight about The Apartment, the 1960 film by Billy Wilder, and Boomerang, the Eddie Murphy movie from 1992, directed by Reginald Hudlin. Uh, Jason, why was it these two movies that you wanted to bring to the podcast? Well, I specifically wanted to talk about Boomerang because I want to talk about Boomerang with white people <laughs> because I want I want white people to see Boomerang because it's like it's it's, <laughs> it's such a classic that um, you know it, it's it, I mean I'm, I'm taking around a lot of white people have seen Boomerang but there's a level of I, I thought it would be interesting to bring in. The Apartment, which is like a, a black and white movie from the 60s, black and white workplace comedy from the 60s, and bring Boomerang, which is a workplace, a black workplace comedy in 1992. They're both workplace comedies about um, romance, about a lot of it also has to do with like men and a, and a boys club and, and things like that. Uh, you have that in The Apartment tenfold, and you also have that in Boomerang as well. And high exec men who, you know, basically get to really do what they want. And so until they meet their matches. And so it's, 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 I, I feel like both are really interesting. Um, the Apartment is a much more prestige film. I mean, if you're a fan of movies, you know, The Apartment and it's one of Wilder's best movies. It's probably, you know, it's interesting because Wilder's best, a lot of Wilder stuff come, a lot of great Wilder stuff comes in the fifties and The Apartment is like 1960. And then it's it's kind of like the last award-winning movie he has, really. It's a really interesting film. Shirley MacLaine's really great in it. And then you have Boomerang, which is Halle Berry. It's one of the first Halle... It's like one of the best... It's probably the best Halle Berry performance still. Mm-hmm. And it's like one of the best Halle Berry movies. It just in, in made her in star, into a star. And it has kind of a similar feeling as The Apartment, in which Shirley MacLaine kind of feels like a real person. Unlike the other... You know, there's a lot of great movie actresses in, in the 50s and the 60s. But Shirley MacLaine, I think it felt like you, Frank Kublik as a character, we'll get to that later, kind of felt like someone that you like knew, like really intimately and had kind of a different form of like acting kind of. Yeah. And uh, Halle Berry in Boomerang, out of all the characters, I think she feels like the most human as well. And so, yeah, I, I, I thought there was connection within the two movies, albeit how much different they are. Well put. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, yeah, just like the the power dynamics between these like high level executives and the people that work below them and then how romance and business kind of intertwine in these movies is really interesting. Um, so we're going to start with The Apartment. And I think uh, Shirley MacLaine's performance is a good jumping off point because, yeah, this is made kind of toward the tail end of classic Hollywood. And Shirley MacLaine, you know, she'd been in plenty of classic Hollywood movies before this. But this feels like a more naturalistic style for her uh, compared to something like, 
I don't know, something like artists and models. You know, you have Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis going crazy in that movie, and she still kind of grounds it in reality, but at the same time, she's on their level. Uh, this movie, you have Jack Lemon doing his usual Jack Lemon shtick, and you have people like Fred McMurray just at the top of their game, you know, really over the top. But Shirley MacLaine really grounds this in a more uh, natural reality. Yeah, I mean, JT, had you, you'd seen this one before, right? Yeah, of course. And it was a, a pleasure to uh, replay The Apartment again. I feel like this time around I was taken aback because this is like, I don't know, as Jason was saying, it's like a canon classic. It's one of those like all-timers you hear about. But it's also... I don't know, the uh, uh, the classic incel movie. <laughs> and I feel like that uh, present company excluded, uh, being an incel, I feel like is tied to cinephilia. I mean, you got the whole voyeurism aspect, which I think like plays a little bit a part of that here because, I mean, for the early half of the film, Lemon is just sort of like watching other people tomcat around. But uh, I don't know. It was it was a fun time to play this one again. Yeah, JT, I I, I I think you made a great point in your letterboxed blurb, where you know, me you, this whole episode, you know, whole podcast is a huge fan of uh, male motivation accounts, <laughs> male soul, loser to leader, etc. Mm-hmm. And you're like, you know, CC Baxter is a perfect uh, kind of character there. You know, someone who's focused on his hustle. But I think you pointed out, it's like. You know, maybe these guys don't really have a choice, you know, choosing between romance and hustle. Yeah, and kind of exactly. Baxter's kind of uh, in this world where he's letting his bosses fuck girls in his apartment. Yeah. <laughs> For That's those pretty who, strange to yeah. me. <laughs> Yo, like, Eddie will, Eddie, Eddie will probably talk about, like, the plot, for those who don't know. But the idea that this man is just, like, <laughs> it's, like, the premise of the movie makes no fucking sense. It's, just, <laughs> it's so weird that he just is allowing his bosses to fuck chicks that he that they're not married to. It's, it's so weird. It's, like, you can never, it's, like, you could never make a movie about that right now, because it doesn't really make any sense. This is office politics to a key right here. Yeah, I mean, like uh, early on, you know, one of the executives tells him, you know, you're on your way up, buddy boy. And it's a it's a different type of ascension to the top of the this corporate structure that he's taking. You know, it's not just the the hard work and putting in the hours, although it it demonstrates that he is, you know, rising above the rest of the people on his floor. Uh, He's also in this relationship with his bosses where yeah as you guys said uh for those who don't know the plot of the movie his apartment doubles as a uh, kind of bachelor pad for his bosses to fuck around with girls uh <laughs> you know because they can't bring girls home where their wives live and it's pretty insane yeah i don't really know how else to say it uh but i love the the contrast between the office and his apartment here this one's shot in cinemascope you know a lot of billy wilder movies are either in the four three aspect ratio or like the flat widescreen but here he really makes use of the whole frame where you get that great shot in the beginning of you know the office where you have hundreds of people on that one floor and you know you're focused in on the one guy and you have another shot later on where uh he's you know waiting for one of his bosses to leave his apartment and he's just like falling asleep on a park bench and the park bench looks like it just never ends and it's that you know sense of isolation that it creates despite the fact that he's in you know one of the most popular populous cities in the world and in this crazy corporate you know busybody environment um i i love how the film starts out so broad like that you know you have that huge shot of the office floor you have those helicopter shots of new york city uh and 
And then by the midpoint, it pretty much just becomes a film that takes place in the titular apartment. You know, you have a couple scenes back in the office after the midpoint, but for the most part, once the the tragedy strikes, uh, you're just sitting in this apartment with Billy Wilder. Annette Kublik, boy, would I like to get her on a slow elevator to China. She's the best operator in the building. Well, I'm a pretty good operator myself. She just won't give me a tumble, date-wise. Maybe you're using the wrong approach. Yeah, a lot of guys around here have tried it. All kinds of approaches. No dice. What's she trying to prove? Well, it could be she's just a nice, respectable girl. There's millions of them. Listen to them. Little Lord Fauntleroy. You know, with the structure of this movie and kind of like how it starts out broad and kind of, I don't know, we get we just get to see C.C. Baxter kind of uh, fumble around, you know, get to walk around and these cinemascope frames, you know, when there's just thousands of desks beside them, you know what I mean? And, but then, yeah, it kind of like, I think, I think people, you know, I think when we started talking about this movie, Shirley, Shirley MacLaine was the first to come up because it really once, you know, she tries, once she tries to kill herself, she gets all the attention in the movie, you know what I mean? I, 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 and uh, it really kind of becomes, I don't know, centered around her. And that's where kind of like the emotional interest is kind of like CeCe Baxter, kind of pining for her isn't that isn't as interesting i guess as her herself no i i, I don't think he is i you know it, it has great performances all around you know what you know who's also great is uh the guy who i don't know the actor's name who plays the neighbor but he's terrific uh, oh yeah dr. the doctor Rick. yeah <laughs> he's terrific he's like you know buddy boy i see mm. i see multiple women in one night maybe like, he's just, like, and he's wagging his finger it's like you're up to no good he's, like, impressive. he's also just like uh what's actually going on here <laughs> like, yeah, I love how that charade kind of keeps going throughout the whole thing. Like that doctor neighbor who helps them out never really knows yeah, what's going on. Like yeah, he just <laughs> thinks he's fucking like all of the women that his bosses fuck combined. And he's upset about it. He's yeah. like, you're, you're, I'm stuck with this wife. Yeah. You got- <laughs> buddy boy, you're, you are, you, you need to check your morals. You know what I mean? Yeah, I can't- buddy boy's like, yeah, buddy boy's like a heat check on the yeah. <laughs> Can't stand this thumping like, every night. Buddy boy's taking him home every single night. And like everyone thinks that. <laughs> it's just like clearly not, it's like the opposite <laughs> it's really funny. yeah it's such a really funny pres- uh, a premise and i think too going back to Shirley mclean like so jack lem is great in it right fred mcmurray's when we got to fred mcmurray's performance it was just like one of the all-time villain performances without like him being like a violent person it's like one of the all-time villain performances in the movie but like um shirley mclean out of all the all the actors i feel like just like feels like a person you know and it feel like a person you can relate to and just the way she, the way she says things and her humanity and like her grace in the movie despite like you know what she does to herself like in the middle of it, it i think it's like I, I it's one of the greatest lead performances for from an actress ever it's fantastic it really is it, it i mean it's aged perfectly she just feels like unlike the other dames that you see there is a rawness and a relatability to her compared to like for example um, you know, Double Indemnity is a, is a great Wilder movie, but uh, Barbara Stanwyck in that movie, you know, is who she's the you know she's the dame. She is who she is. Whereas like Shirley MacLaine in this movie just feels like a person. Just feels like a real person. Mm-hmm. So I think it's an incredible performance, and I think her character stands the test of time the most. Like I think I think I think C.C. Baxter is a, is a is a really great character, but like in a different way, in a much more of like he's playing off with these certain things way. Whereas like I'm enthralled every single time Shirley MacLaine's on screen yeah and i love how the film sets up you know the main players and like the power imbalances that are at stake here you know you have 
uh, it going all the way to the top with Fred McMurray. You know, first you see that it's just like the the bosses directly above C.C. Baxter, a.k.a. Buddy Boy, that are taking advantage of him. But then he gets the promotion and it's like, oh, it's the guy who's in charge of the whole building. And then, you know, right after he uh, tries flirting with Shirley MacLaine in the elevator a little bit, you see that that power imbalance goes from the all the way to the top, all the way to the bottom as it's revealed that Fred McMurray's character, uh, Jeff Sheldrick, is, you know has this ongoing affair with Shirley MacLaine's character and it's it's tragic from the get-go you know you see them at that restaurant and it's just like right away you know he's giving her the song and dance about leaving his wife and like you could tell even before his assistant uh talks about it that this is something he tells women all the time you know and she doesn't want to put up with it and like uh she she's supposed to go out on a date uh to see um, a, a musical with jack lemon and you know has to stand her up or has to stand him up uh just because like that power imbalance is felt so strongly where he just wants to go to a restaurant with her so she's gonna go you know I just yeah. love how, like, Fred McMurray will, like, flip the switch there. Like, when he goes into just, like, callous, like, being a dickhead mode where it's just like, oh, yeah, like, I'm not fucking leaving my wife. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Like, it <laughs> just... No, nah, he's pure... Yo, he's a savage in this movie. Honestly. <laughs> no, honestly, he's a pure savage in this movie. It's actually crazy. Because it's, like, it, it's... The way he speaks, too, is, like, it's the art... It's, like, this, like, level of corporate seduction that he has, not only with uh, Frank, with Frank Kubler, but also with Buddy Boy. It's crazy. Like, he talks to them in the same type of way. Yeah. It's like uh, towards the beginning where he, like, wants the key to Buddy Boy's apartment, he goes, like, it says here, Baxter. It also says here that you are alert, astute, and uh, quite imaginative. Hello? Come on, buddy. He's, like, waiting for him to get it, and then, like, <laughs> and then, like, he'll talk to Fran, and he'll be like, Fran, Come on, it's me. Why are you doing this? And he's, <laughs> he's like sitting with a smile on his face. I think he's a sociopath completely. Oh, yeah. oh absolutely. Yeah. I mean, he goes from that corporate seduction to that like hardcore, just like total asshole mode. And then you even get a glimpse of just like the family man too, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, like on Christmas day when he gets that call and it's like a little bit of him in like uh, the sitcom he was in that started this year, uh, 1960, My Three Sons. Like you get like Good the point. My Three Sons McMurray, <laughs> the double indemnity uh, McMurray, uh, 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 you know, you get all these sides of him that are yeah truly just like sociopathic he's complete different in this movie than he is in double indemnity which yeah of in double indemnity, he has no control he thinks he does he has no control though. yeah whereas mm-hmm. in this movie he's got control almost like over everything that's going on right like every person like every he's got control over over baxter he's got he's got control over fran like it, it's you know yeah uh, his character name is Seldrick. yeah jeff Seldrick. no it's 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 an, an immense it's a great villain by Wilder. It's one of his best villains. So the the midpoint of the film where everything kind of turns to shit for all the characters, uh it, it's you know, they have this office party and uh it's like you know, Jack Lemon's riding high because he's, you know, succeeding at work and he thinks, you know, things are going decently well with Shirley MacLaine's character. You know, he's drunk off his ass, you know, and uh, then the assistant of Sheldrick tells Shirley MacLaine, uh, Fran Kubelik, that, you know, just reinforces what she probably already knew about him. That, you know, he's never going to leave his wife and he's been through this with so many women before and it really just puts her in a terrible state. And uh, including her, including the secretary herself. Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty hardcore like, for her to stick another around. Villain, 
villainous behavior on 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 Frederick Murray's end. It's just like you're, <laughs> you're first is the secretary, then it's the elevator girl. Like, no, he's a clown. Like, <laughs> why does everyone like him so much? I, well, he's, I mean, he has mean the power. He's got uh, the power, I guess man. So. I guess so. That's, uh, hey, you know this. You know, just become a CEO, fellas. If you're having <laughs> having trouble out there. <laughs> And 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 I so to everyone listening, we're laughing because like it's a hilarious movie. But like if you were to put this in like a like if you were to like make an article about what was going on, people would be appalled. But like oh, yeah. it's hilarious. <laughs> it's not, in the context of the movie, it's really funny because like the way he like the way he like maneuvers, it's like yo, this guy is crazy. Like, this guy is oh, this guy is moving with such like villain behavior. But it's like no, but it's, he's but he he is a. He's a you know dark humor is something that in movies that I think um, is the hallmark of a really great film is dark humor. I think I I really do. It's like one of the few hallmarks of a film that is really great. You, there's always a level of of dark humor in a film that's really great, and this one's got like a lot of great dark humor in it. Yeah, I think Billy Wilder he kind of oscillates between like how dark the humor gets in a lot of his films because it's like something like Double Indemnity, you know, played straight as a noir, but he his clever writing, you know, can't help but bring itself out. But then you have stuff like you know Sunset Boulevard, also tragic, but has a lot of funny stuff in it. And then stuff like this and Witness for the Prosecution, it's like you know they're pretty much comedies first most, but you you take a look at what the actual plot is, the drama of it. <laughs> It is just extremely dark, and it's just like this guy just can't help but make people laugh uh, despite the mm-hmm. darkest of situations. Like, you have Jack Lemon at a bar just like, you know, uh, regretfully dancing with some floozy he picks up <laughs> at the bar and then just ditching yeah. her eventually. No, it's a great holiday movie, and one of the few holiday movies that understands how it feels to be alone on the holidays, oh, too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it, it really understands, like, how it feels to be alone on the holidays, right? Sherman Clinton's alone on the holidays. Jack Lemmon's alone on a holiday. He's the only guy who's not alone is Seltrick. It's like, <laughs> it's like, you know, yeah. it's like with his family and shit. Like, yeah. the, you know, this is a classic, you know, the dark humor coming through where, yeah, CeCe's about, you know, about to, you know, he's dancing with some floozy. Looks like he's about to, you know, score or whatever. Then <sighs> Shirley McLean swallowed all the pills. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like I got to take care of this now. You yeah. Know? But I, I, you know, it's that's... like the one time that Jack Lemmon is about to put his big boy pants on and get yeah. after it. He comes home with Shirley McLean passed out of his crib. Yeah, so it's like, God fucking damn it. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, after, uh, you know, Shirley McLean and Fred McMurray have their final big blowout uh, at, you know, uh, Jack Lemmon's apartment on this holiday, uh, she, as we said, you know, swallows a bottle of Lemon's sleeping pills and then Jack Lemmon comes back, has to kick that girl out of the apartment uh, because he realizes the girl he actually cares about is like on death's door in his bed. And uh, yeah, the rest of the film is essentially him not just nursing her uh, back to health, but also realizing the situation he is in is so morally bankrupt that no matter what success it's bringing him, it's not worthwhile. And it it climaxes with him, you know, having to stand up to Sheldrick and tell him like, you know, you can keep your fucking, you know, uh, executive bathroom key. (laughs) You know, uh, I I love, you know, just a very clever piece of writing there using a key as you know the you know uh the deciding factor here is he going to give him the apartment key back or is he going to you know return the executive bathroom key to essentially quit his job and he does that and you know i i also like how kind of open-ended the ending of this movie is because he's packing up his stuff just to 
get the fuck out of there. He's going to move to another place, find a new job, just start fresh because New York has just like eaten his sense of morality alive. Uh, we then, yeah, of course, I... have one of the great endings where Fran is at the apartment and just wants to play gin with him. And it's like, it's left open what's going to happen. Are they maybe just going to be friends, maybe just have a good night together and he still moves on, you know? Uh, but what's really important is that she's recovered. I, I don't think Fran is in love with, with Baxter, right? I don't yeah. think Fran wants... I really don't. Like, I don't think Fran wants Baxter. I don't. Like, respectfully yeah. to Baxter. You probably, <laughs> no. Yeah, like, respectfully, bro, like, you probably don't end up with her. Yeah, but, exactly. But it, yeah, and I think that's what makes the, the film kind of so beautiful is that it's just <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Uh, it, it, yeah, it's yeah. this happy ending for both of them technically because they're both freed of the awful fucking situations human, they've been it's in. It's a human ending. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's uh, a real human ending, right? It's a, it's an ending that simultaneously like is hopeful but like it's not like decadent ever like it, it's it's kind of like he probably doesn't end up with Fran, right? But yeah. there's a level of like Fran is like, "Yo, I see you." <laughs> as a human being and I fuck with you <laughs> and I, and I, it, it's kind of just like, I, I appreciate who you are. <laughs> and I think, I, and I think like it's, I think also what it is is to, it's, it's clear that there are two kind of damaged people in terms of New York. Like you said, like New York has like bankrupted their kind of souls kind of, and kind of like um, turned them into like really like kind people. And then to like, kind of like jaded. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. I remember there's a scene in the beginning where, Fran says, this stuff happens all the time, right? Uh, we have our summer fling. Uh, the family moves away. Suddenly the kids come back from camp and suddenly now you don't know who I am. It's like, it, 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 that, I'm paraphrasing, but she says something like that. And so there's a level of like jadedness that she feels because of being played by Seldrick. And there's a level of jadedness that he also feels um, being like played by all these executives being like, oh, we're going to use your apartment. You're going to like rise up in a company. Not because you're, you're talented, just because like you're, you're, you're letting us just like bang our assistance in your apartment. Yeah. And so <laughs> like, and so, and so like, I think there's a level of like jadedness that they both feel. And you can tell that from when they start bonding together because Baxter talks about how he attempted suicide. And like he, he's had these problems all his life, right? He's had these problems. He's been a timid type of guy all his life. And there's a level of at the end where I feel like, it's uh, it's not said that they're going to be together, but it's said that they're not going to be that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They're no longer going to be that. Right. And I think that's like the best ending possible. You know, I mean, I think, you know, to talk, you know, we're talking about like Wilder's sense of wit. I think this is like his most sentimental movie in like a cakewalk. Like, I feel like the back end of this movie, and it's kind of why I have a little bit of a problem with it. Like, I kind of not as hot on it not, as us. Yeah, I'm not <laughs> as hot on it. I mean, it's still like Wilder, great guy, great director. You know what I mean? The craft is still there. Like I love like kind of the cinemascope framing and all all that stuff. But I guess there's something there's something that just doesn't quite up add up to me. Like in terms of like I'm not quite there sentimentally mm. towards the back end. I guess I kind of like all the whole wind up of everything and yeah. then how it's delivered. Interesting is just a little just I don't know. It's kind of a it's a weird cocktail to me. You know, just knowing how how cynical Wilder is seeing like, yeah. like, and, if, and I don't, I don't want to like, you know, bash on a guy for, you know, changing up, you know, his tone or something, but like something about how this all wraps up just doesn't, I don't know. It doesn't 
quite do it for me, but I still like the movie overall. Well, there's something I, about the ending that kind of reflects the ending of Some Like It Hot as well, yeah. where I feel like it's more about that moment of the perfect ending than extrapolating what's going to happen to these characters yeah. after the credits roll. You know, Some Like It Hot has that, you know, iconic ending line of, well, nobody's perfect. And it's like implied just like the joke that uh, that rich dude is going to marry Jack Lemon uh, despite <laughs> him not being a woman. And it's like, well, clearly that's not going to get walked out all the way. But it's it's more about that moment and hitting that poetic ending perfectly. And I feel like he pulls that off here with the apartment. But I I understand where you're coming from, Malcolm. Thank Uh, you. JT, any any final thoughts on this one before we wrap up? Give it a rating out of one to five bullets. Um, Yeah, I'm going to go four bullets on this sucker. I mean, I love the whole thing. I think it's pretty great, but I just like, I mean, I'd say I side with Malcolm where it's like, I, I love the windup. The first half of this just has like such a frantic mania and does some of the more broader, like goofy stuff. Like you were talking about the framing, like one of my favorite ways that Wilder fills the frame in like the party scene is like as Lemon's. Uh, like just sauntering around drunkenly from a, looking for McLean, there is like every couple in the background is just making out. Mm-hmm. There's just everyone in the office is paired up, and that's just so fucking funny. And then also, I love how he incorporates the use of like the diegetic sound of the record that's spinning. Um, when Lemon finds out about the suicide, just that he has to, like, he's arguing with the floozy, trying to kick her out, but then after that happens, he's like, why is this fucking record on? And just shuts (laughs) it off. And that, like, I don't know, it's such a clever device to actually, like, you get that little playful moment there, and then that eases into that seriousness there that, like, obviously there are jokes in the second half, but it really uh, takes over in that more grounded mode. But, yeah, it's a great film. Malcolm? Uh, I'm going to give it three three bullets. Uh, to, uh, not of the cap to Wilder, Lemon, McLean, everyone involved. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why. I just, I've always had an issue with this movie. And, like, I don't know. I guess maybe I expressed why. But, like. Yeah. Um, well, it's but not for everyone. It's I not. Can, <laughs> exactly. Hey, no, but it also kind of reinforces. Kind of got me thinking about the canon a little bit. And it's like, this is still good. This is still, like, solid work. You know, yeah. it's like. And I was just thinking about like canon movies. I'm not as hot on, and I'm, you know, I guess the canon's pretty solid. Yeah, exactly. Even, uh, even you rarely come across an all timer and are like, oh, I that's don't bad. think it's Wilder's best movie. I, yeah. I don't think it's Wilder's best movie. I think Sunset Boulevard's his best movie. Yeah, probably same. For I, I would probably put this in the three to five range. Um, maybe probably four, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, it definitely feels like his. We're gonna wrap this up nice. We're gonna wrap this great career up nice tidy a little bit I, it's kind of what bon, parasite is for bon joe a little bit oh, okay. in terms of like a little bit yeah in terms of like this is like obviously really great but also like immensely accessible and like everyone's really going to be into this mm-hmm. and it's not you're right it's not as cynical as one of the things is it's also being in new york not in la or rather mm-hmm. it's I, I don't know where it was filmed but rather it takes place the movie takes place in new york and not in la and so there's a level of like unfamiliarity that i think wilder might have with new york compared mm-hmm. to the familiarity he has with LA. And so like the way he the way he talks about LA in both Double Indemnity and um Sunset Boulevard is like he like hates Los Angeles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very <laughs> cynical like, movies. Really, really, yeah, no, it's really funny. And so um it's I 
there is it is a romanticized movie, uh, but I, I, I think it's I think the performances are you know really excellent. All three lead performances are, are terrific. They're really great performances. Uh you wanna give a rating on this one, Jason? Anything else you wanna say about it? Uh I got a I, I have it as five on my letterbox, so I'll just keep that. Okay. Uh, I yeah, I think it's a great terrific film uh by a, a, a really great director a really and it's a great script it's a really one of the all-time scripts lemon is one of the all-time comedic actors in terms of like physicality mm-hmm. uh one of my favorite things is when he doesn't have he he doesn't think he's like dressed really he's not dressed well for the meeting the first the first meeting he has with sheldrick and so she gives him like the flower and like the way he's like complaining about it and he's like moving his arms and he's so small and he's like <laughs> yeah I, yeah, Jack Lemmon was 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 terrific. He was a, a really kindred spirit as an actor, and um, and Shirley MacLaine is it's still one of my all time favorite lead performances ever. It's just like, and she's such a beautiful woman too, but not in the way where like it scares you. Yeah, you know what I mean. Not uh, in the way approachable. Not, not yeah, in the way, like, uh, I could get not it. Not in the way that she's using her sexual. Not in the way where other wild female wilder characters are using their sexuality. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not in the way that Norma Desmond does. Not in the way that um, uh, Barbara Stanwyck does. Like it's it's there's there's just a pertinentness about her in in the movie that I find like really 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 sweet and like different than the other characters around that time. Um, and McMurray's as a villain is just really incredible. It, actually, I have to blow this up tonight just because, like, <laughs> I just like want to see like the way he like speaks to people. <laughs> <laughs> Let's queue up a Fred McMurray Savage compilation. He's also fucking clueless about like he's also fucking clueless about like why people are upset. Yeah. So like, I don't know if that's on purpose or if that's just like him still gaslighting a little bit, but like. <laughs> He's saying like he tells Fran before she she takes the pills. She's like he's like, why are you acting like this, Fran? This is not like you. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, bro, what are you talking about? You said you're gonna leave your wife, you know. And then and then and then at the end, and then my second favorite one is at the end. He goes, he's like, Baxter took that job that I offered him and threw it right up my ass. He gave me back the key and everything, ripped it all up. I don't know why. <laughs> you don't know why. <laughs> It's got to keep his head down, keep working. Yeah, I know, man. He's like, <laughs> yeah, I know, man. He's a demon. That guy's a fucking demon in this movie. It's, it's great. <laughs> uh, yeah, I love this movie. I'm giving it a four. I, I think that, yeah, it's not like Billy Wilder's very best, but he's clearly operating at such a high level on this. And uh, yeah, it's like also watching, you know, rewatching Mad Men right now. It's uh-huh. great to see that, you know, New York corporate you know uh sleaziness in comparison yeah i honestly think i honestly think like the jones of the world have even more agency than shirley mclean has yeah yeah no i mean we were saying off mic it's like uh jack lemon being the protagonist of this is like if mad men was about fucking uh bob benson you know (laughs) (laughs) no seriously no yeah on <laughs> Bob Benson. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I just think this is a great movie and I've, I've said my piece on it. You know, I, I think the sentimentality, it doesn't work for everyone, uh, especially because of how cynical the view of, you know, that uh, business relationship is. But I, I think it really works for me, the, the push and pull of that movie. So yeah, uh, it's great. And I think we'll be right back. If I can add oh, one more thing, go ahead. I think it's, I think it's cynical about the workplace. Yeah, definitely. For Absolutely. Sure. For sure. I mean, the girl gets fired literally after snitching to Shirley. Not, I shouldn't say snitching, but after whistleblowing. <laughs> uh, uh, 
<laughs> not great. Call yeah. it what it I is. She snitched. That's a whistleblow. Yeah, that's not. Uh, 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 uh. That's a, no. It, it, it really is. After whistleblowing to Shirley McLean, she gets fired. Like literally, yeah. unceremoniously too. It's like he's like, I'm giving you. Yeah, he's like, I'm giving you a sedulous pay. That's right, Miss Olson. You're fired. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's a fucking demon, bro. And so, and so, I think, I think it's sent. It, I think it's sentimental, perhaps about about uh, Baxter and Fran at the end. But yeah. I don't think, my interpretation of that is not they end up together. My interpretation of that is that there's a respect and there's a and there's an appreciation that they have for each other. Mm-hmm. Buddy Boy does mm-hmm. say, I adore you and I love you, which is fine, but I don't think she's like, I love you too. She says, shut up a deal. Yeah. She says, I just want to play this card game with you, bro. That's it. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so it's like, it's it's so I, so I think like, um, I think it, it's it's cynical on on some ends and not on other ends, but that's and I think that's totally fine. I think it's fine to be cynical about systems, but if your human interaction with people is cynical, then there's not there's not a way to like grow together. And I think the apartment ha- carries that juxtaposition really really well. All right, well we'll be right back on extended clip. I love you, Miss Kubelik. Three, Queen. Did you hear what I said, Miss Kubelik? I absolutely adore you. Shut up and deal. And we're back on extended clip. It's everyone's favorite segment, Malcolm in the Middle. Malcolm. Well, what have you been up to? <laughs> well, you know what? Yeah, you know the mo- you know little movie spiel I'm going to give here. You okay. know, also comes with a little bit of you know I visited the Academy. Mu- well, I didn't visit the Academy Museum. I went to the Ted Mann Theater. Okay. In the Academy Museum, so I didn't really get to see Paul Newman's Watch or whatever. But uh, uh, <laughs> dude, the Academy Museum <laughs> is like sold out for a month in advance. I, I was getting tickets for it for like two weeks ago, and I couldn't get a ticket until December twelfth. Damn, it's well, fucking shit. crazy. I, I guess I was thinking about going soon, but I guess I'll have to maybe next year. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I, I did get a chance to go to the Ted Mann Theater. I saw Sweetie by Jane Campion. Ooh. And uh, tickets, you know, if you wanted a ticket to that, you could you could have gotten one. Um, <laughs> uh, it's kind of, a, it's a weird theater. It's kind of got like these green felt seats in it. It's a very like green theater. Okay. Very heavy green color scheme, but it's cool. I liked it. Um Parking, you know, it's a little iffy. You know, you might want to park park on Sixth Street next to the LACMA. You okay. know, never fails, never fails. But uh, you know, it's funny with the intro. The you know, they're giving an intro because I guess this is the first movie in a retrospective they're doing over there for Campion. And like the first thing they say about it, it's like Jane Campion nominated for an Academy Award. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> uh, uh, always got to lead with that. Yeah. Yeah, it is funny how like they do sneak in like. And with talking about her, they make sure to emphasize like Academy. The Academy yeah. still still has a presence in the Academy Museum, believe it or not. Um, <laughs> but Sweetie was, I mean, it was a good movie. I can't say it was a delightful movie. It's actually a very unsettling. Yeah, movie. Sweetie sounds like a movie about you, Malcolm. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> well, that's why I bought a ticket. I was like, I got a Sweetie. This sounds nice. Um, but uh, yeah, it's funny, but it's it's pretty bleak. It's <laughs> yeah, it's a very well. I would, yeah, it's a. I mean, you know, it's very it's. It finds funniness in the bleakness, yeah. so to speak. But yeah, it's like you got you got basically a dysfunctional family with a you know a, a bad relationship going. On. We got Kay. Kay's kind of the main character, and she has a very 
very bland and kind of just ill-conceived relationship with a, a co-worker that she bases off of, uh, you know, some local astrologist or something like that. And then, you know, they're, things are going bad. They're not having sex. Sweetie comes to town with like some some sleazebag producer who Sweetie being Kay's sister and Sweetie's Sweetie's you know she's a BPD girl or she's just a I mean a little bit more than that she's you know she's a trying to fuck Kay's boyfriend just she's throwing tantrums eating glass horse figurines and stuff <laughs> like that and this is all kind of framed with like a very like I feel like I Campion's sense of composition here is very strong because she kind of goes for like the most uneasy way to depict like each scene, kind of like each like uh, camera placement just seems like you have the traditional tr- camera placement and just put it like right to the side, just make mm-hmm. it a little bit more uncomfortable. And it's, I don't know if it's like there's any conclusions this movie comes to that are exactly like, you know what I mean? I don't know if like this all results in anything grand, but it's just, it's interesting to see like, I don't know. Campion kind of view this is like dysfunctional Australian family and just uh, like uh, just they're very awkward people just all of them very like passive aggressive awkward people and just to see that with kind of its uh, wonky framing I think it's kind of a it's a good formula she's got going here so you know I've never seen a Campion movie I know you just watched In the Cut recently I, I don't know if you're going to talk about that or not but um, you know I, I'm color me satisfied I'm going to I'm going to keep going down the path the Campion path you know maybe you'll see me at the Ted Man Theater <laughs> <laughs> JT what about you um yeah I uh you ever watch a movie in a strange place Okay. Well, I mean, like, this isn't re- particularly. Lots of people watch movies here, but I was in the airport on my uh, way back to LA, and I fired up uh, JLG's uh, Germany Year Ninety Nine Zero, and I feel like watching a Godard movie in the airport. That's a good place to to watch a movie, and it's like, the, especially the headphone experience. That man's fucking around with all these sounds. It was uh, very intimate. And uh, Godard is always hopping around different places. That man, he's, he's shot in an airport sometimes, too. And so it just felt right. The mood was perfect. And uh, we're continuing our adventure in the Lemmy Caution uh, extended cinematic universe where Eddie Constantine uh, returns. Um, it's a long gap sequel to Alphaville, like exactly, 30 years later. Yeah, Exactly. And this time... Uh, he's just fucking around in Germany trying to find the West. Um, and a lot of this is about like the fall of the Berlin Wall and is just like really fascinating in that perspective of just being like, okay, well, a lot of the big socialist projects of like the 60s have sort of failed. And it's like Godard confronting that head on and being like, what the fuck, where do we go from here? And uh, I th- he continues to explore that theme later, but I just love in this, like, and I'm priming myself for Histoire du Cinema. I got to work Ooh. up, got to just, uh, I don't know, get some reps in first yeah. but um, <laughs> before I build up to that. But I think, like, this is sort of the seeds from what I've heard of what he gets at more so in there where, like, and obviously throughout his work of combining, like, uh, fiction and like non-fiction filmmaking there's a lot of like nazi footage like thrown in through this and just sort of raising the moral questions of what 
what is cinema's responsibility? Did it fail in uh, addressing like the Holocaust and like World War II? And uh, I don't know, just really impressive, beautiful film. Yeah. Uh, sight unseen, it's probably the best art house sequel. <laughs> and sorry, Souvenir Part 2. <laughs> sorry, Uncle Kent too. you know. <laughs> uh, Jason, have you watched anything noteworthy uh, recently? Uh, yeah, I watched In a Lonely Place for the first time a few days ago. Oh, man. It's immediately my favorite Bogart performance. Yeah, no, it, he's incredible in that movie. He's incredible. He's incredible. Because the thing about Bogart is there's a level of, like, control and, like, coolness he has over a situation, even if he doesn't really know exactly what's going on until the end. Um, he still plays it always, like, real cool, right? You know, still plays it, um, you know, real, um, just, like, real chill and... and <laughs> And other as and other like aspects of just like regular masculinity, whereas in the lonely place he's actually just like an actual violent person, mm -hmm. and he doesn't do anything wrong, but we know he could possibly kill someone, yeah, and that's like <laughs> even, somehow that's like even worse than him actually committing the crime, like <laughs> like like he has the he has. At the drop of the hat, he is able to do violence, like in the film. Yeah, and like, and like, you know, what we know about his record, like, even though he doesn't do the crime in question, like, and I'm sorry, spoilers for people who haven't seen it, but it came out in 1950. <laughs> um, even even though he doesn't actually do the crime in the movie, like, his crime is literally just like being himself. Like, it's like, nah, nah, nah. It's and and the telepathy of like the the mindset of like violence and what it is too, right? Like it, it's almost like it's almost like he bonds with her because they both have this like mindset of like danger almost. Mm -hmm. It's like really it it's no, it's it's yeah, yeah. And talk about a cynical fucking movie. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like it's it's cynical, but to a point where it's just like sad rather than angry. Like it's, yeah. you know, you, yeah. you see the anger of the and the cynicism of the movie come through in Bogart's performance, but you're left just like fuck that was that was depressing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah. I I'm a sucker for Ray's romance. too. Yeah. like I think. You know, what do you say when you know like, how doomed it is? Yeah. 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 The doomed romance, you know, the classic, you know, uh, man, you know, man in trouble with the law, you know, in mm -hmm. trouble with himself, can't really doesn't even know what to do with himself. I mean, I, I love uh, also kind of like the bungalow setup of like the houses there. Yeah. How like uh, Bogart and Graham are kind of just peeping at each other for like 10 minutes before they start talking to each other. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah. Ray's one of the all time greats for me. Um, I, yeah, but Malcolm, you watched a Jane Campion movie called Sweetie, and I watched one yesterday called In the Cut. Uh, this is a movie I've been wanting to watch for a while. It's like her take on the erotic thriller with, uh, Meg Ryan and Mark Ruffalo. This is a crazy fucking movie. You got cinematography by Dion Beebe, and it's just as expressive as, like, the work he would do for Michael Mann. Like, it's, it's so just crazy. I don't even know how to describe the way that like the shallow depth of field looks. It's just, it's a movie you kind of just have to look at and the color grading is super expressive too. But more than anything, it's just like a, uh, it's a movie that feels like dissociated almost like Meg Ryan. It's really through her point of view that we see all of this depravity around her. She's like this English teacher who is in New York city and just like, 
living in a world of sleaze beneath, uh, you know, the, the high school English facade that she puts on, uh, like her, her half sister played by Jennifer Jason Lee is a stripper who lives like above the strip club she works at. And also very strange that the strip club is like the, the bouncer of the strip club is played by Patrice O'Neill uh, <laughs> in like, a ve- in like very like feminine, uh, get up kind of like, it's a very strange role for Patrice O'Neill, but he absolutely kills it it was just a surprise to see (laughs) um but yeah it's like a a murder mystery where the police procedural side of it is like damn mark ruffalo and his partner really suck at their jobs like they're (laughs) not good cops at all and not in the way that usually associate like bad cops either in real life or in movies they're just like kind of incompetent and mark ruffalo is like led by his dick more than anything you know there's so many scenes of like well, you know, if you could come down and take a look at some of these pictures and then it's just like them fucking five minutes later. (laughs) And it's a very gratuitous film with its nudity and its violence. And I don't know, it's like a a lot of the readings of this film are like, yeah, this is like the feminist erotic thriller. It takes the misogyny of the genre and puts it on its head. But I think it's a lot messier than that, you know? Like I I wouldn't say it's not a feminist film or anything like that. You know, Campion obviously has her feet in, in that ground but I think that rather than getting rid of the luridness of the erotic thriller it just combines that with psychological depth and more of the female perspective than the male one and that's not to say Mark Ruffalo's character isn't deep either Mark Ruffalo's character is incredibly complicated and uh, much like a classic Hollywood guy just like you know wanting to leave his wife but not and just fucking women instead and uh, there's also like I, I mean, like, yeah, to speak of the explicitness of the sex scenes, it's definitely the most explicit blowjob scene I've ever seen in a Hollywood movie. Like, okay. I know there's the Brown Bunny, but that's like an independent production. This is like a bigger budget Hollywood movie with like some fucking like hardcore stuff in it. So, <laughs> like, well, now uh, you've got my interest. I was, yeah. I, was, <laughs> I was very surprised by how explicit the movie is. And, and like also like how both tasteful and sleazy Campion plays the sexuality and the violence in the movie and uh yeah it's got it's like it starts out more like spaced out psychological like art house and then like by the time all the twists of the third act are coming around you're like oh yeah this is like a neo-noir you know erotic thriller kind of thing and uh, i i think it's like really fantastic so check out in the cut if you haven't seen it all right we'll be right back on extended clip All right, and we're back on Extended Clip talking about Boomerang, the 1992 film by Reginald Hudlin uh, starring Eddie Murphy. I had not seen this film before, and it really took me aback. I I was, like, really... pleasantly surprised by like the tone of it and just like the general kind of dramatic shape it takes and all the performances and uh yeah I don't know Jason why don't you tell us a little bit about Boomerang in general like your history with it or just for the uninitiated what's Boomerang all about um you know Boomerang is a black romantic comedy classic um what I really like about Boomerang is and this is something that was more important then is less important now but it also just features like black people just like living their lives and like black people like um 
like being in, in business and you know like having like actual like office jobs and like <laughs> you know what I mean and not in the it's it's definitely it's like the coffee show is like really uncool mm-hmm. but like boomerang is like cool yeah but also <laughs> like features like but also like features like black people who are like wealthy right like Eddie Murphy's wealthy in this movie as is Robin Givens and so like it just it, it just kind of like shows us that or showed us that there was a, and it, it's it definitely is a Clinton era or it wasn't really Clinton Bush era. It definitely is a is a, a Bush senior era type film or, or Reagan era type film. But and Eddie in general, his 80s work is like a lot of um, it's got like a lot of like, you know, black celebrity, you know, black rich black man type of aspect. It has a, a rich black man aspect to it. But. Um, it's it's really it's it's really a groundbreaking movie. It's a groundbreaking black movie, and it's a workplace comedy. Eddie Murphy plays a uh, exec for an ad company um, who you know does what he does with women um, in and out. You know, women in and out. You know, uh, he's 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 uh, he's unmarried, so unlike the guys in the apartment, uh, he's unmarried. So you know, you can do what you, you can do what you want, but. Um, <laughs> He is uh, he's definitely making moves and Robin Givens plays his new boss who he's immensely attracted to and and, and eventually um, falls in love with. But then, uh, you know, Holly Berry also plays another love interest. So it's a it's a triangle between them. It's got a great ensemble cast. Martin Lawrence is in there as, as a friend of Eddie Murphy's and he's, he shines. He, he's, he's great. He's hilarious in it. Uh, David Allen Greer's in it. He's also very funny in it, and John Witherspoon is, is also in it, and he's and he's excellent. So, it's a uh, really funny movie. I'm excited to talk about it, um, and it, it's it's honestly yeah, it, it was honestly very groundbreaking for people. It, it made a lot of money, and it crossed over too. A lot of people love Boomerang, right? Like you know, white people love Boomerang too. It's it's, it's great. It's it's automatically great. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I really like this movie, and they, it opens up, you know, uh, with a metaphor that kind of goes throughout the movie in voiceover here, you know. Yeah, this is a story of famous dogs. For the dog that chases its tail will be busy. And I think that that, that kind of dog thing uh, runs throughout the whole movie of guys who are just, you know, chasing after women the whole time, chasing after tail, as it were. And uh, I, I think that that dynamic is also you know, again, introduced with Eddie Murphy's friends in this movie. You have, you know, very early on him getting lunch with his two friends played by David Allen Greer and Martin Lawrence. Martin Lawrence being the dog of the two and David Allen Greer being kind of the romantic, the the Jack Lemmon type, if you will. Mm. And uh, it, it, it's really great how, like, I don't know, there, there's kind of two sides to everything in this movie. Yeah, he's a professional and a successful guy, but he also has this, like, really you know lavish apartment and like is doing his own thing not in the way that you would typically imagine a successful businessman would in a 1990s movie you know he's playing by his own rules and then you also have of course him being attracted to not just the body but the success of robin Givens's character but also won over by the sentimentality and the emotionalism of halle berry's character and i feel like yeah this film just kind of like it explores a lot of areas of these characters in a really interesting mm-hmm. way. It's not at like a breakneck pace of a romantic comedy. It really allows 
the the scenes to develop over a longer period of time and uh, I think it uses that time really well like that's I think the the kind of slower pacing of the film is its strongest suit because it mm-hmm. allows the dramatic stuff to build up in a way that feels really natural I th- you know that's kind of a I had a similar thought to that too exactly because it is like it's not one of those movies where it's like because uh, it is a comedy it's not like pumping out joke after joke after joke Rather, I feel like there's like one or two really like funny jokes like per set piece or whatever. And like mm-hmm. that's, you know, that's a that's a better rate to do it. You know, this, it gives it a more sleeker, more feel, you know, you know, that kind of matches kind of like the Eddie Murphy, Lothario, expensive apartment businessman vibe. You know what I mean? And uh, I think this movie is also interesting because it is like it feels reflective on like Eddie Murphy's career up to this point in a mm-hmm. sense as like him as an actor or whatever. It's like. I don't know, a lot of his movies, he's like, you know, he's usually just like a, up until this point, you know, just kind of like a like a womanizer, you know, a little bit misogynistic, you know what I mean? It's not, you know, and this movie kind of, I think, works with that in a very, like, kind of interesting way and kind of like, uh, I don't know, puts it in, like, the corporate structure. And uh, I don't know, I, I like it as that, too. It's like, I think it's really, like, integral in, like, Eddie Murphy's filmography, I would say. It really hits the ground running. Like right away, I feel like we breeze through a lot of intro stuff and you just see how much fucking swag and charisma Eddie Murphy has. He's just God, like his performance in this is so fucking good. The outfits like. Yeah, no, the like all those suits, hella turtlenecks. It's just uh, so many great looks to be had. And just I don't know when it really pumps the brakes. Then when like Robin Givens. Uh, comes in and I also like that sort of like more relaxed tone it gets because there are just so many phenomenal performances that you get to spend a lot of quality time with these characters and we haven't even mentioned like Eartha Kitt yet I love just like her little I mean it's pretty much like a one note gag that happens but just her like uh, pretending like she has more sway to fuck Eddie Murphy is such a good bit. Yeah, his, his like reluctance to fuck the face of this brand uh, that they're working with, and yeah. then it turns out you know she hasn't had any power in the corporation in ages, so it's just like, oh well, you had to fuck a you know not very attractive older lady. It's, it's a sober <laughs> look at womanizing, right? Because it's <laughs> like in most movies, you know, it's it, they're only going to show you the pros, you know the beautiful woman Eddie Murphy goes home with and it's like sometimes you turn on your charm in certain situations that you know aren't the right ones and you end up you know maybe doing something you might regret and mm-hmm. I, it's a I don't know, funny little gag there. <laughs> uh, another one of the gags is yeah the, I, I love the commercial director that works for them <laughs> oh, yes. hell and yeah. like the uh, the lipstick commercial that you're introduced to first where it's just like cutting between all of these like phallic objects going into people's mouths and shit and uh, yeah. later on the, the commercial for the, the pussy perfume that he directs that's just like absolutely wild is just like it's it's so great and such a great satire of I don't know just kind of like uh yeah it's like a satire of like what advertising is and it fits with it fits within the whole like vibe of the whole movie which is about like sexuality right the whole movie is about sexuality particularly mm-hmm. black sexuality right like eddie at the time also like you know if you look at eddie's stand-up like raw and delirious his outfits like in and i believe raw he's got on the purple and then delirious he's got on the red mm-hmm. i think that's correct yeah he just like looks like a sexual person you know what I mean? And like before Eddie, like it was like, you know, eh, it's not eh. that might be putting a lot on Eddie, but it, it was more tab. Black sexuality was more taboo before that. 
And then you get into the eighties where it starts to end with Eddie, where it starts to get like less taboo. Um, it wasn't black sexuality. Wasn't was it? It wasn't only Eddie because you know you have you have Pam Greer, you have all the black exploitation movies and stuff like that. They're very sexual movies, but it's like Eddie as a man um, was just like screaming type sexuality in the way like Elvis used to do so. Mm. And so um, Boomerang is like the extension of that, and like his outfits when he comes into work when Chris Rock's like Chris Rock's also yeah. <laughs> um, when he's like uh, when Chris Rock is like. Come on, man. Yo, man, come on. And it's- I told you, man. Now, check this out, man. I've been working here about nine days. You know, I've been on time most of the time, even when it rained. Don't you think it's about time we talk promotion? <laughs> office, come on, man. I get my own office, man. Bring my hoes in here. We have a little party. Set this motherfucker off, man. Like, the <laughs> outfits always are, are pinpoint. I mean, Eddie's terrific in this, so... It, and and the whole role, the overall vibe in terms of the ad company is sexuality, right? Like even like he has to like sleep with like the older woman, like you know what I mean? It's, yeah, yeah. So I mean, he he's introduced to Robin Givens' character uh, Jacqueline as there's this corporate merger that brings her and a lot of other uh, new executives and employees into the building. Uh, you get this great like reveal of her when he first sets eyes on her where it shoots her like three different times, like, uh, you know, repeats the shot three different times. And obviously this is the first time where his, uh, you know, his idea of himself as a sexual uh, being is kind of thrown back in his face when it's revealed. Oh, no, he's going to be working under her, essentially. And uh, then we get like the big corporate merger party where uh, Grace Jones's character, Strong J is introduced like uh, as you know the the first big uh, corporate spokesman that's going to be working for them and you know she's introduced like dropped out of a helicopter and then on whipping like, those white guys yeah her chariot <laughs> yeah the white guys pulling her chariot being like the first white guys you see in the movie too is pretty hilarious <laughs> no grace jones is like because it's kind of funny like both like you know everyone's like playing games in this movie you mm-hmm. know what i mean like uh uh Eddie Murphy, you know, he's playing his womanizer games in the beginning, and then Robin Givens kind of serves that right back to him. Yeah. Whereas, like, Grace Jones is, you know, just a direct force. Like, she's in that restaurant. It's like, when are we going to fuck? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, she, he gets upset when she says no and just calls everyone gay. Oh, when she just flips leaves. out her panties <laughs> as well at the perfume meeting? It's just fucking crazy. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's kind of, she's a great presence in this movie where everyone's like, you know, has their corporate front or has their romantic front, you know, and like she's just a bullet, you know, just straight shooter. And yeah. I just love, I love how on the nose, just just giving her the name Strange. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I love the the sense of like the woman's sexuality in this movie is very, and I'll say all over the place in a good way. Like every character feels so different in that sense, you know, uh, other than maybe the older lady and Strange both being very like direct about it. Uh, but you know, uh, Robin Givens' character, it's like when she comes over to Eddie Murphy's apartment the first time he, you know, is trying to put on the usual moves and just none of it works. And she just wants to watch a basketball game. And you have like footage of, uh, Michael Jordan dunking on Patrick Ewing as like Eddie Murphy dejectedly is like, I'm going to go get some coffee. Excuse me. You were, you were saying something? I use fresh rosemary on my salmon all the time. That's why I said that. I'm sorry, Marcus. My mind is actually someplace else. The next game is going to start in a few minutes. Do you mind if we eat this in front of the TV? <laughs> no, not at all. Sure. No? Great. 
Like he just he's not into the fact that she is like it's taking like, the male like role. The only time Eddie Murphy, it's like Eddie Murphy's like no longer into basketball anymore. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> he's like, man, fuck this. He's like, <laughs> but at the same time, it's not a full gender swap or anything because like she still uses sexuality in a very clearly like female way throughout the movie. It's just that like she is embodied what it means to be kind of on top in these business situations and there's an inherent kind of male quality to that. So I think that give and take is really interesting compared to Halle Berry's character. The angel. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, she's in Eddie Murphy's eyes and the eyes of the film, she's pretty much perfect, you know, and like, uh, but at the same time, she's not because look at her relationship with David Alan Greer, again, reflecting like the apartment where it's like, <laughs> uh, you know, he is clearly crazy about her but he's he knows he's gonna have to take a step back settling for the incel yeah it, it's like she's not gonna settle for david allen greer's character as anything more than a friend and a sounding board for her issues and then eddie murphy comes along but you know fortunately for her he's not toxic the way that fred mcmurray in the apartment is and so i, I love <laughs> the shift in the interest in uh the love interest of eddie murphy in this film from the first half to the second you know because once he finally gets what he wants with robin givens he realizes oh it's like she's not going to give him what he actually wants from her yeah. he she's just going to hook up with him uh as you know a boss in a corporate structure generally would you get that great scene of them in new orleans uh when they're dancing together and it's like the whole scene is done in this one long take that starts from the ceiling and like cranes down and twirls around them dancing as he's trying to like you know touch her more and she's resistant to it but then she just in, you know goes into his apartment room to fuck him later and uh yeah I, I think that the the romantic thread of this is really complicated and interesting and i was very surprised and i guess i shouldn't have been to look up like uh what the director said about this and he said that jules and jim was a big influence for him on yeah. this film and i i do think that that push and pull between the two women and the two men that uh halle berry's character is involved with in this film definitely relates to the complications that arise out of friendship and romance in that movie you know you you talking about like the complicatedness of the relationships it, you know, it's almost like, you know, you could almost call this a feminist film, or, but it, it isn't. Yeah. Like, it just, it ultimately isn't. But kind of like, kind of, I guess the, not the reversal, but kind of like, I don't know, Eddie being on the other end of that power dynamic. Yeah, getting He's, treated like a hoe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And then, uh, but like, and then kind of how he strays away from that kind of realizes the emptiness of that. I, it's a, it really becomes like a pretty insular performance for him, you know. It's hit some like dramatic notes that like I feel like this movie is not necessarily like people aren't necessarily like expecting or maybe even wanting going into this movie. But I feel like like I admire how this movie kind of uh, stretches its like uh, dramatic chops towards the second half yeah. of the movie. And like I think that's you know it uses its length effectively to explore you know the dramatic implications. And it doesn't lose sight of the comedy either, of course, you know, because like the second yeah, half, yeah. you get the Thanksgiving set piece, which is maybe the funniest <laughs> oh part God. of the movie for me. And you get David Allen Greer's parents coming in and like them fucking in the bathroom while they're cleaning up. It's one of the greatest cameos of all time. It's oh, one yeah. of the greatest single scenes in 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 history. I, it really is. Like you know, I know that's I know that I know it's not like a canon classic or anything. Not like you know, so it's not like an AFI classic or anything. So that sounds like crazy to say, but like 
you talk to anyone like on the street and you ask them like, hey, what's your like favorite like one scene movie? They'll probably tell you. Like any black person will tell you. Like Witherspoon and Boomerang is like it, it, it's <laughs> honestly it's so fucking good. The way he dominates it, it, that table is just amazing. Oh my you know, God, the reversal of the so pussy whipping funny. monologue is just like so fun. <laughs> and like it ending with him fucking his wife in the bathroom is just like <laughs> as perfect as it fucking gets. Now Marcus. I hear a girl dog got you pussy whipped. <laughs> Why don't you reverse it? Don't be pussy whip. Whip that pussy. Look. Bang, 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 bang. It also kind of like shows you why David Allegreer is as like a timid person as he is because yeah. he's just like, yo, my dad is crazy. Like he creeps me out. That's how crazy he is. <laughs> no, the, I'm just laughing because just thinking of like their, the, the dynamic of the alpha dad and beta son, just like, <laughs> just like, like, just kind of like, are you sure Halle Berry's not your girlfriend? No? Okay. <laughs> just, and then it's like, yeah, I'm going to go fuck, go fuck mom in the bathroom. It's just hilarious. <laughs> no, whether, I mean, whether spoon in any movie you put him he's just electric just yeah. you know always great always great to see and i i love that dynamic because you have that insane comedic set piece followed by the most genuinely romantic part of the movie where eddie murphy and halle berry finally hook up like falling asleep to star trek in his apartment afterwards yeah. and it's like on paper maybe that doesn't work but then like with the time you spend with the characters and like everything they've been through it feels so deeply earned that scene like it's it's really good yeah after uh like they have their complications obviously it's a romantic comedy there's going to be some uh, miscommunications and hearts broken and whatnot and it almost feels kind of like uh almost like cynical like where the the painting she does of eddie murphy uh you know inspired by their brief affair ends up being like a corporate uh like uh campaign at another advertising firm because she leaves her job you know to get another one and him like seeing that campaign on a bus and like seeing oh there's a painting that was inspired by me loving a woman being used as a corporate campaign on a bus stop like it's like you know it's pretty fucked up to think about uh, but he's also in that world of advertising so it makes perfect sense to him that it means he just needs to go get her back i mean also isn't the the campaign is for like epiphany is yeah. the name of the thing <laughs> Uh, and of course you also have the the friendship side of things you know he has to make good with David Allen Greer and you have a generally genuinely heartfelt scene of them on the rooftop you know the boys getting back together uh, the comic relief of Martin Lawrence you know coming in too late after they've already made up yeah. saying that they need to make up is great I think I think uh, the criticism of this movie is that is Martin, Martin Lawrence's homophobia um, uh -huh. which you know <sighs> You know, who cares I, yeah yeah that's kind of how I, I i also feel i also feel that way as well and here's why no but here's why here's why here's why here's why it's not just like a it's not just like a it's it's not just like a culture war thing with me which i mean it's, it is a little bit but <laughs> um um because Martin Lawrence doesn't get any girls. Like yeah. he's one of the movies who doesn't get any girls. And so it's like clear that this is the, this guy's like wiling. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, absolutely. It's that, yeah. It's clear that this guy's wiling because he doesn't get any girls. So it's like, 
David Allen Greer and Eddie Murphy, they're like big at girls because they're not like bigots. And he, <laughs> and Martin Lawrence, and Martin Lawrence, like doesn't get any girls because he's like cracking jokes all the time about gay gay people. And, like you know what I mean? It's like yeah. It's, so it's it's it, I think I think the movie is aware that Martin Lawrence is kind of crazy. So that's what I will say because like you'll you'll watch you'll you'll see Boomerang stuff and it'll be like oh Boomerangs, um, virulent homophobia and it's like i get it but it's 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 only good i don't think it's a i don't think it's a homophobic movie i think it's all good fun. i don't oh, even yeah, remember I, him saying homophobic well i mean there's like a pretty like uh transphobic discussion that happens uh, i think at the yeah, beginning yeah yeah but i mean like generally Just kill style yeah they're they're limited to like a handful of scenes and i think that like i don't know with what we're saying not obviously not a feminist film but it's like a pretty like it's challenging in terms yeah. of like gender and sexuality in that respect. And I think that like to like to just read it based on like two or three jokes that happen throughout, I think would, yeah. is doing a disservice to a great film. And I think I think we kind of maybe even already hit this point, but like all the like conversation scenes between like Lawrence Greer and Murphy are just they're so natural and like yeah. funny, like some good jokes cracked like that's that's kind of almost like a trope in the romantic comedy almost like talking with your boys about what happened but it's like when it's done well it just feels so oh my you know, god great. also yeah. the staging is great too when they're at the gym yeah. on the rowing machines yeah, yeah, those yeah. shots of them like going back and forth on the rowing machines while talking it's like that's my favorite like visual and like staging uh aspect of the movie it's really fantastic there and that's when we learned that lawrence doesn't get in any because yeah. <laughs> you know it's the people who talk the biggest game usually you know yeah it's the exactly classic, classic example um jt any any final thoughts and rating on this one yeah, I mean, I was just really taken aback by, like, the pace and, like, uh, style of the film. I was expecting something that was a lot more, like, bombastic of a comedy. And, like, you have, like, a lot of, like, great bits and really funny moments. But just, like, there's a whole lot of heart in this picture. Yeah. And just it's very, very earned and, like, a complicated movie. And I'm going to go... Uh, Three and a half bullets for this. Nice. I, I was at three and a half after I watched it, but like over the last few days, it's really grown on me like in a way that I'm not used to kind of like it's mm. it's not the thing where you keep thinking about scenes after a movie like that's usually how a movie grows on me is like oh the, that great scene keeps replaying in my head for me it's just like the general tone of the movie sticks yeah. with me like i really it's a really one of a kind uh tone for a comedy like obviously there's a lot of dramatic comedy dramedies if you will but like I feel like the romantic threads of this and the comedic threads of it are intertwined like scene by scene in a way that I like really would love to see more of like it, it's really interesting and uh also you got to give it up for the great cameo by uh legendary director melvin van peebles as the cigar chomping editor uh when they're cutting that like explicit commercial and they're arguing yes. about whether or not you could see a nipple uh, <laughs> getting uh getting van peebles in there for that uh is awesome that that's a great like little yeah. inside joke can we talk about this black cast for a second so you got you got Eddie, you have Robin, you have Holly Berry, David Allen Greer, Martin Lawrence, Grace Jones, Eartha Kitt, Chris Rock, uh, Tisha Campbell, John Witherspoon, uh, Melvin Van Pebbles. Like, that is a black mecca. Yeah. <laughs> that is a black murderer's row. I'm going to go four bullets. Yeah, you said, like, the tone's really unique here. Kind of, like, 
Yeah, like you, when you think dramedy, you think of like I, don't, I think of some bullshit. I don't know why. I never associate yeah. dramedy with a good movie for some reason. <laughs> but, uh, like, yeah, it just has a very sophisticated sense. Like, it's a like its sense of drama is more sophisticated than what's required for your average comedy. Then it's also like the comedy is not too like I said, it doesn't overload you with stuff. It's like it'll rather have like one big thing like a. Grace Jones rubbing her panties on an executive or whatever, you know, to kind of like give an accent to a scene. And like, I, I really like that type type of pacing and uh, yeah, I don't know. There's just something so, so sleek about this movie and like, it's yeah, it's just a real good time. Also like the, both the heart of the movie and the comedy being so embedded in the performances and the general pace of the movie. It finally clicked with me. It kind of reminds me of James L. Brooks a little bit. Yeah. Like, uh, I don't know the way that the heart just builds over the course of nearly two hours and the way that it just punches you with comedy here and there. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, he's one of our favorite directors here. So that's about as high of a compliment as you can get. It also, I mean, there's very different movies, but it also falls under, the Dr. T camp of, you know, grown men learning lessons about women. Like it's true. I, those are fun type of movies. I don't know. I like, I like that. I like that. Uh, yeah. It's always great when the men, yeah, it's always great when the men have to like, like learn shit. Yeah. yeah it's <laughs> like, you're like, Oh, okay. Uh, Jason, any final thoughts on this movie and a rating for us? Um, I remember I first watched this movie, uh, when I was a teenager and I just like, on a sentimental level, I just like really appreciate the movie. Um, that's what this movie is what real representation is not fake representation you know what i mean like there's a fake representation there's like mm-hmm. representation that's like meant to sell you things meant to like sell costumes and like mm-hmm. meant to just be like you know corporate and shit and then there's the representation that's like fucking awesome you know what i mean like this is like cool representation it, it's I'm, I'm you know i'm gonna show my kids boomerang like you know what i mean like i'm gonna show my children boomerang boomerang's like it's a it's a classic though boomerang's a classic really black kid it, it's it's um anyone can get into it it's it has really interesting sexual politics to it um hot sex scenes oh yeah 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 yeah. and it's a sexy movie like it's everyone's really good in it eddie's a eddie's a very underrated dramatic actor really underrated oh yeah um yeah yeah immensely underrated dramatic actor eddie is and um and so is holly barry so um it's 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 a good movie i i give it i give i have i have it as a four out of five on my letterbox i'll keep it that way so all right well jason thank you so much for bringing this double feature a delightful trip into uh business and romance uh uh yeah i I think that's gonna do it for this week's episode malcolm do you have the picks for next week yet i don't okay it's fine you know as your boss here i'm gonna say (laughs) i know you're smart you're intuitive you know what to do Uh, as your lover here malcolm i think i accept it (laughs) (laughs) all right jason thank you so much for coming on uh you know talk to you soon have a good night man take care brother